Welcome to Fairfield. What are you reading? A next book podcast from the Fairfield Public Library in Fairfield, Connecticut. I am Philip Barr, your host and head of adult services. Each month we gather a group of library staff together for a conversation about what we are reading, what we're reading, what we've just finished, what we're excited about coming soon. Most of the books will be new, some will be older. The group will focus on books we love and hopefully you will too. The mood of this podcast is relaxed. Imagine you come into the library, ask a librarian for a next read, and a couple more people stop by and soon everyone is trading their favorite new reads. Listen in now as we begin. Hello, I'd like to welcome everyone to episode 20 of What Are You Reading? A next book podcast from Fairfield Public Library in Fairfield, Connecticut. Today is September 30th, 2022. My guests and colleagues, Amy Peck, Jessica Stevens, and Elaine Barry, will be discussing their favorite new books and what's on the horizon in publishing for this fall. So why don't we jump right in? Jess, do you have something for us? Yeah, I just finished Surrounded by Narcissists by Thomas Erickson, but I want to start by saying I wish I had read his other book, Surrounded by Idiots, first. Idiots introduces a new method of understanding the people around you and helps how you change, how you interact and communicate with them. And there's a four-color behavioral model that he explains briefly in Narcissist but more thoroughly in Idiots. The model is how he helps define how we interact with and perceive the people around us. So the book gives examples um, how to interact with each type of person. By identifying a friend or a co-worker's behavior, you can adjust how you speak and share with them. So that's you learn most of that in Idiots, and then he briefly touches on it in Narcissists. He gives real-life scenarios of narcissism, explains what could have created these traits or personalities. Dealing with narcissists can be painful and cause damage in our personal and work lives, and although narcissists are probably not going to change, this book helps identify strategies you can use to respond to their behavior. It discusses both nature and nurture having an effect on the hard wiring of these individuals, as well as the effect of social media on creating narcissists. He has other books surrounded by psychopaths. Um, (laughs) I just watched the Dahmer show the other (laughs) night, so I'm still a little chilled about psychopaths. (laughs) Um, And there was actually a a funny meme that has a picture of all his books, and the caption says, has it occurred to Thomas Erickson that he might be the problem? (laughs) (laughs) So that's my nonfiction. So what was the um, the chart that you said in the beginning? So there's is that in the narcissist book? Yeah, or it's in, in the, it's in the idiot's book and the narcissist, okay. and I'm sure he touches on it in the psychopath's book too. It's there's four colors. He divides people into four colors. Reds are dominant and commanding. Yellows are social and optimistic. Greens are laid back and friendly, and blues are analytical and precise. Interesting. So he thinks that by understanding and identifying what people's colors are, that's how you learn to interact with them and communicate with them. If you know you're working with a red, then you take this kind of route to talk Mm. to them about issues uh, versus a yellow. But I think he went more in-depth in in the Idiot's book to explain the colors, whereas in Narcissist, I I was a little confused trying to remember what a red was and a yellow was. And next is Surrounded by Psychopaths. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I haven't finished yet, but I'm still reading The Displacements by Bruce Holsinger. He wrote uh, The Gifted School, which I didn't read, but I will probably read after The Displacements because I'm really enjoying it. The Displacements tells the story of the world's first Category 6 hurricane named Luna, who makes landfall in the Miami area of Florida and the coast of Texas within a 10-day span. It's about the Larson Hall family who live in an affluent community in Miami, surgeon husband, potter wife, stepson at Stanford, and two small children who want for nothing. 
Upon their evacuation, they lose everything. Two family members are missing, while Daphne, the wife, finds herself caring for everyone else without her wallet and money, which was misplaced during the evacuation. The bulk of the Larson Hall family have no other choice but to enter a FEMA mega shelter in Oklahoma. Cut off from all resources, they are in limbo, as new circumstances previously hidden from Daphne come to light. Their new community includes an insurance agent drug dealer, a group of children playing an enormous made-up game, running wild through the tent city, and a dedicated relief worker trying to do her best. Uh, littered throughout the book between chapters are eyewitness accounts of the destruction Luna has caused by witnesses in different areas of the American South. Part cautionary tale, it makes me question my preparedness for the growing impact of global warming on our planet. Is and this nonfiction? No, this is uh, oh, this fiction. this is fiction? Yeah, okay, fiction. it's uh, gotcha. the but world's timely. first Category 6 hurricane. So which timely. And yeah. exactly with what's happening in Florida right now. And like, right. I don't have an emergency plan. I have one for zombies, but I don't have one <laughs> for like <laughs> evacuations or anything like that. Like, I don't have like uh, copies of, uh, of documents in a bag. You know, yeah. I don't have, I have bottled water, but, yeah. you know, it really makes you think like I should be doing more and I should have more prepared. I can't remember the term, but th I think they're called go-to bags or mm -hmm. something. And we like something you just grab. Yeah, we have one for the weekend and then one for a week. Yeah. But, um, but it took a long time. And it we just had a program. Yes, we did. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Just Which I should have gone to. <laughs> just this week. <laughs> yeah, the fire chief was here this week um, in the library doing a, an emergency preparedness program. So it's always good. You know, it took us took me decades to figure this out. Yeah. So it's always good at some point just to um, address it. Yep. And then the other book that I'm reading, which is completely out of my comfort zone, it's it's like a romance novel by Taylor Jenkins Reid, who I love Taylor Jenkins Reid, and I want to shout it from a mountain. Everything I read of hers, I just absolutely love. And um, she's just completely worth the hype that's around her. Um, get on the wait list for every book of hers now. Uh, so, And two of them. I w I'm just going to jump in and say that we have a most wanted list that we put out that our circulation supervisor Sue Ballow puts out once a month I think and two of Taylor's books are on mm -hmm. the most wanted list and I don't think they're brand new and, right? and they're worth it yeah. and that's the thing like yeah. there she's she's so worth it and for no matter what kind of books you like to read she just I feel like she can reach everyone uh, her new book Carrie Soto um, I can't wait for that one and I got a notification that it was ready for me because I listened to audiobooks on my way home and I couldn't wait to get in the car and I almost hoped for a little traffic to start it and I get in my car and it was the ebook version <laughs> and I was so upset that Oops. that's why I was just looking for anything available by her that's how I got the one true love so now I'm listening to this and crying on my way to work crying on my way home because it's so beautiful it's a tale as old as time it's um Emma, it's a story about Emma and Jesse and then Emma and Sam. Jesse, the love of her life since she was a freshman and sophomore in high school, they get married after being together for nine years. And on the eve of their one-year wedding anniversary, Jesse's helicopter is lost over the Pacific. Now, so the other thing I love about her is that she, we're the same age and she grew up in New England. So when she's talking about high school, I've never felt like a closer voice of my generation and what it was like and uh, I... Just the feelings of nostalgia I was getting was amazing. Um, so Jesse is gone, and I'm not lying when I say I was crying hysterically through the next chapter when Taylor describes the feelings that Emma goes through while grieving. I mean, I can think about this one part and like conjure up tears still. Like it was just so beautifully written. Like I have favorite chapters and like favorite pieces of things. I'm really into like minute details, and I think this is one of my favorite things I've ever read. 
just that just that one little part like this book is great but like this one part like I think I will always remember this one little part um so when Emma is finally ready to move on, she meets with Sam, an old friend from high school, falls in love again. Now she's engaged to Sam, living a life she never once expected. And she receives a phone call, and it's Jesse. And he says, Emma, it's me. I'm alive. I'm coming home. So <laughs> he lives. So now that's why it's called One True Loves. Oh, okay. I'm not finished with it yet. It's, it's really short, but it is just, she is just such a good writer. It's so, I don't like romance novels, but this doesn't even feel like romance. It just feels like human emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love, and I, so the other thing is, so Malibu Rising is based off a character that was in Evelyn Hugo, um, the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo, mm-hmm. which is another one of her books. And then Carrie Soto is based off a minute character in Malibu Rising. I and love I that. love that she does that. And I wonder like, was she writing that little character and being like, there's more to this person or did she already have planned, you yeah. know, was it already written out that she was going to write a book on them? So I just, I would love to have dinner with Taylor Jenkins Reid and just know everything about her. Yeah, one of my favorite things in books is to imagine who might be a spin-off character because mm-hmm. if, if it's a good book, there's always going to be people that um, that you love that are secondary characters or even minor characters. So good for her for doing yeah, that. Yeah, no, I, I just love her. And then next for me is Growing Up Getty, which is an enthralling and comprehensive look into the contemporary state of one of the wealthiest and most misunderstood family dynasties in the world which is good for fans of Succession, which is a show I still really need to get into. (laughs) Um, It's through extensive research, uh, fresh interviews with family members and friends, and it's an inside look into the benefits and burdens of being part of today's world of the ultra-wealthy. Great. Yeah, so that's what I'm listening to next. Sounds good. So, Amy, I think you're up next. I will (laughs) preface this by saying normally you are our nonfiction go-to person, but I think (laughs) Jess is, like, competing with you today. Well, it's good because I'm going to start off with fiction first. Oh, wow. This whole podcast (laughs) is turning upside down on me. Go. All right. Fiction for me. Best to keep you guessing. Um, Well, the first one that I want to talk about is The Bullet That Missed by Richard Osman. Um, It's the third book in the Thursday Murder Club series. and the first two books have actually been uh, discussed in previous uh, podcasts as recommenda- recommended books. Um, and the th- this third one does not disappoint. All the mysteries involve a set of people uh, living in a retirement village um, who meet to discuss cold cases. Um, the, it just has great characters and, and awesome dialogue. And uh, so besides the whodunit part, it all, it, 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 revolves around their lives and, and touches on, you know, serious topics of, of, you know, aging and loss and family. But the characters are just so good. You, you, you want to be friends with them. It's, it's, it's really well written and it's an a, enjoyable read. So, so it's not really a cozy, you'd call it. It's more of, because it sounds like there's some fun moments in it, but then you're talking about the sort of the depth of the characters, which right. makes it seem um, like it's not particularly. I, cozy. I wouldn't call it a cozy, but it's not it's not dark mystery either. Right. Um, Great. Uh, the characters, you know, they have serious things going on, but but you know, the friendships are, are really wonderful, and and the dynamics between all the characters are great. The other fiction book that I that I recommend is one of my favorites from this year, and it was discussed in the July podcast. So I just want to give a, another a second shout out to it. Was the remarkably bright creatures by Shelby Van Pelt? Um, again, it was it was 
wonderful characters, um, well-written. You know, there's, there's mysteries to it, but, but, I mean, one of the best characters is the actual octopus in the story, so, um, <laughs> who has great lines himself, so. Um, I just gave up squid because I heard, because I read about how smart they are, and really? so now I'm not eating squid anymore. Yep. Wow. It's like the one dietary thing I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, well, you'll like. I don't know if you've read it, but the, no. the, the, the the octopus character in this is 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 great. The recent nonfiction that I've read that uh, I recommend is *The Fisherman and the Dragon: Fear, Greed, and the Fight for Justice on the Gulf Coast*. Um, it came out in August, and it's by Kirk Wallace Johnson, who wrote *The Feather Thief* a few years back, which was another awesome mm -hmm. book. Um, and in this case, uh, the, the, the book is about fishermen, um, uh, particularly shrimpers and crabbers along the Texas Gulf Coast, uh, who by the late 70s were struggling with the effects of overfishing and pollution and environmental degradation, um, who, some of whom found it convenient uh, uh, to blame and use as scapegoats recent Vietnamese refugees who had settled in the area, some of whom were, became fishermen. They get the clan involved to use to intimidate, to try to force them out. And it's just a very eye-opening tale, but involving you know racism, corporate greed, and environmental disasters. Um, because many of the people who live there didn't want to fight the environmental degradation because it was they were the biggest employers and they paid the most, and, and so. Um, it is just, it was very eye-opening, and um, I had never heard about any of this going on. You know, there's attempted murder, and it's just crazy. I just kept reading it and thinking, really, this happened? And What, um, is it like this year, or like five years ago, or? When so this it? took place, it started in the late 70s, and oh, it was okay. in the 80s that most of this, um, but I mean, there's ongoing, yeah. obviously, issues along that coast with the industries going mm -hmm. on still. And it was a very long environmental fight f for some of the residents who did fight against the corporations. Um, so it was, it, was, it was very well written. It, it was fast paced because you just got absorbed and still shaking your head while reading it going, really, people act like this? And so um, anyway, it, I recommend that. Along those lines, I read, um, the Gulf, The Making of an American Sea by Jack Davis. That came out in 2018, but it was the Pulitzer Prize winner for history. Um, it does not discuss, I had read this before the other <laughs> one, it does not discuss those, um, that particular uh, incident and, and issues, but it, it, it covers early exploration and native uh, groups who lived there and it was eye-opening in its own ways, but it covers not just early exploration, but early um, American then development, industrial development, and the um, recreational development of the area, mm -hmm. and environmental issues, and current fights to try to um, remedy some of those things. It was just fascinating. It just covered a wide range of topics, and it was uh, very well written. And uh, I have a question. In that book, did the government come to help the uh, indigenous people? Did the government come forward and help them at all? You mean in the Gulf? Yes. Uh, no, government was part of clearing the way for industrial barons to set up different things. That is amazing. 
Elaine, welcome to the podcast. I know this is your first time, so we're thrilled to have you here. And uh, what do you have for us? I read three stories for today's podcast. The Magnificent Lives of Marjorie Post by Alison Pataki, Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Gramus, and Queenie by Alice Monroe. That was published in a compendium of short stories titled Hateship, Friendship, Courtship, Loveship, and Marriage. The theme that each of these stories share is courage and perseverance, and the stories cover the period from the early 1900s up through the mid-1960s. During this time, the world treated women quite differently than they do today, and it was pretty much a male-dominated world. But the main characters in these stories are ambitious women who will not settle in life or in their careers, and were taken through their journey to realize their potential and dreams. And it's really fascinating to read people's reactions when the women uh, defy the status quo. And it's also ironic that it is a man who opens their first door to success. The writing is funny, clever, and runs the gambit of emotions. So first, The Magnificent Lives of Marjorie Post, <coughs> which is also available in ebook format and audio format. Marjorie Post grew up in the Great Plains in the early 1900s, and her father, C.W. Post, was chronically ill. So we sought out the specialist, Dr. John Harvey Kellogg, the brother of Will Keith Kellogg, the founder of the Kellogg Company. Dr. Kellogg believed that eating grains is a means to healthy living, and in those days, a typical breakfast was eggs, biscuits, steak, and bacon. Mr. Post was cured, and then he gave it some thought, and he thought, hmm, the breakfast cereal will simplify today's housewife as and it is a time saver, and it is also a healthy start to the day. Well, four years later, he creates the Postum Cereal Company. And of course, there were a lot of court cases involved here. <laughs> when he died, Marjorie inherited the company, and she was just 27 years old. However, she wasn't allowed to sit on the board or hold a position. She couldn't be the CEO, couldn't be the president. The reason why is that the current practice, and this is 1914, the current practice required a man to run the company. But this didn't stop Marjorie from leading the company. Her uncle and father's best friend who held positions with the company were more than willing to help Marjorie. And through them, she led the company from the beginning. In about 10 years' time, the company's products had expanded beyond cereal, and Marjorie named the company General Foods. As an example of her entrepreneurship and ambition, when word reached Marjorie that Clarence Birdseye was living in Gloucester, Massachusetts, and he had created a method of freezing food, she stopped her vacation and directed her yacht to Gloucester. Her second husband was E.F. Hutton, and he tried to discourage her from buying the company. He said, no one wants to eat frozen food. They want the meals prepared then and there, fresh from the store. And a woman would never want a freezer in her home. But Marjorie knew best and bought Mr. Birdseye's company. With all of her wealth, she was a great philanthropist and a great mother. Her children adored her. And during World War I, she, was su she supported the U.S. Army Hospital in France. She supported the Salvation Army during the Depression. She participated in soup lines. And she also supported 
Children's Symphony in D.C., and many, many more organizations. Marjorie might have been a glittering heiress, but she was a great businesswoman and philanthropist who had an undeniable drive to live life her way without compromise. So I have to jump in because literally every major food um, brand is in this book. Like, they're all interconnected. Yeah. That's bizarre. I would have never in a million years thought that. She was amazing. Absolutely amazing. I mean, this is, I don't know, she bought Maxwell House coffee, log cabin syrup, Jello. I mean, it's just because she wanted to. Her father, she and her father were very, very close, and her father was very serious that he didn't like the idea of a woman slaving over a hot stove. And... Um, he wanted to simplify her life, and she carried that on into lunch and dinner. Right. Very cool. Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Gramus. I love this book. Um, it's available, of course, in hardbound, ebook, and audio format. This story is about the tenacious Elizabeth Zott, who is determined to realize her dreams. And Zott happens to be a scientific term that means zeroing in on the truth. And she's very honest and always speaks her mind, which often gets her in trouble. Grammis's writing is clever, funny, and occasionally shocking. And I have to say, I, I've read a lot of books, but her style, Gramis, Bonnie Grimes's style of writing is that you're, you're brought along, you think you know where the story's going, and then pow, all of a sudden, a human reaction hits you, and you're like, oh my God. Uh, very impressive writing. She's drawn a wonderful supporting cast of characters with very distinctive personalities that you will either love or hate, but you'll remember them. The novel opens with Elizabeth Zod as a young single mother in the 1960s California because, and she is hired because of her looks, not because of her skill. Grammis then turns back the clock when Elizabeth is studying for her master's degree in chemistry with the intention of earning her PhD. One day she finds an error in her professor's research and he is livid, not because a student is correcting his work, but because that student is a woman. This derails Elizabeth's plan to earn her PhD. So with her master's, she starts looking for a job. And she finds, one, uh, she finds a research position at the Science Research Institute. And she's given an inferior lab and even more inferior equipment. She also happens to be the only female scientist, but she was a brilliant student. She's dedicated and works very hard but her manager refuses to recognize her contributions. And even though uh, she, her research is published, that it is published under E. Zott, not Elizabeth Zott. And when uh, an individual calls the company to inquire about the research, they say, Mr. Zott is unavailable. May I help you? Then one day, she bumps into Calvin Evans, the Institute's star scientist, and they fall in love. But Evans suffers a fatal accident. And a month later, Elizabeth discovers she's pregnant. It's the 1960s, and her boss lashes out at her. He tells her that this will bring scandal to the Institute and fires her. The scientists at the lab panic because Elizabeth, after Calvin, was their finest scientist. So they panic at her firing, and what do they do? They start forming a queue at her front door and ask her to review their research. And this goes on over a period of years. And they pay her well. 
This enables her to support her daughter and herself for several years. As you can see, Elizabeth is resilient. She always finds a way out of being pigeonholed by society. And then one day she meets Walter Pine. He's a wonderful man. And he's producer of daytime television. And Elizabeth is offered her own cooking show. And this gives her a platform to demonstrate her scientific talents. And believe me, she goes off script all the time. And, but she inspires other women to break from convention, to realize their dreams. This is an excellent book, and so many messages are, are to be learned. And I haven't touched upon Elizabeth's daughter, but she is a story in and of herself, and she's brilliant and precocious, and she takes you on a separate journey. And also I wanted to mention something. Um, Lessons in Chemistry will be a television series on Apple TV, and the script's being written by Susanna Grant, who was the screenwriter of the film Erin Brockovich. And if you listen to the audio version on Libby, you'll be treated to, um, oh, about a 25-minute interview with Bonnie Gramis. And here she talks in depth about the characters and about herself. Great. Nice. Very nice. Yeah, this is a big book right now. There's like... 50 holds on it, I think, or something like that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautifully but written. But it's worth it. Yeah. I have another one. Go for it. Queenie by Alice Munro. Um, this is a short story. And this also goes along the lines of a woman who is breaking tradition that uh, bucks the system and what becomes of her in comparison to a friend who doesn't buck the system. Queenie by Alison Munro, again, is published in the Compendium Short Stories, Hateship, Friendship, Courtship, Loveship, Marriage, and it's available in hardbound and ebook format, not in audiobook. This story is about two half-sisters who take divergent paths in life. Unfortunately, one of them doesn't actually realize it until some 40 years later. Chrissy and Queenie are half-sisters, and they're very close, but Chrissy is absolutely adores Queenie. Queenie is full of life, and everyone adores her. She's the first to be picked for the baseball team, even though she's not very good at baseball, but she's willing to go forward. And the first to be chosen for a spelling bee, even though she finds spelling difficult. But Queenie doesn't care. Queenie doesn't want to go to college. She wants to experience life. Chrissy, on the other hand, has her whole life planned before her. She's going to attend teacher's college, marry, raise a family, and so in her senior year, and have children. In her senior year in high school, Queenie runs away, hoping to escape that small town forever. She leaves a note. She's eloped with the widower next door, the music teacher, Mr. Veruglia. Two years pass before the family hears from Queenie, who's living in Toronto. Chrissy jumps at the chance to visit Queenie, but when she sees Queenie, she doesn't recognize her. She's changed, and Chrissy doesn't understand why Queenie, married to Mr. Veruglia, is, stays with him. He's so much older than Queenie and demanding, but Queenie reassures Chrissy that this is marriage, this is life, and she's just fine. Chrissy goes back home. When a teacher's college, Chrissy learns that Queenie has run away again, and this time doesn't leave a note. Some say she might have run off with one of her husband's music students, who is a promising dentist. So her life, we assume, is full of possibilities. Chrissy becomes a teacher, marries, and has a family, but just, just as she planned. But she still misses Queenie, even 40 years later. 
and she finds herself constantly looking for her free-spirited sister. So Queenie appears a bit wild, and she's not afraid to defy convention or take risks to get what she wants in life. Chrissy, on the other hand, follows the path of least resistance, and because there's no risk, she never dares herself to do something. There's never that exhilarating feeling of achievement, which would push her on to the next adventure. And that's it. Um, I, there's a book I'm trying to remember that I was just scanning through my Goodreads, but it's it's vaguely similar. Um, the book about the two, oh, uh, The Vanishing Half. That's oh what yeah. I was trying to remember. So I was thinking about that book while you were talking. Um, not really the same kind of book, but another sort of sister's book that just really is about two sisters taking wildly divergent mm -hmm. paths. So oh, mm -hmm. Yeah, so really great. It's really good. Yeah, I just have a couple, and then uh, let's see what everybody else wants to do. Where do I have them? <laughs> my, my papers are all turned inside out. So I wanted to mention very briefly um, a book that uh, my coworker Linda suggested to me, and um, once every so often, I'm not a big black blockbuster book reader, so but once every often something just really jumps at me. So the last time this happened, it was um, Billy Summers by Stephen King, like it just blew me out of the water. And this time, it's called The Measure by Nikki Ehrlich. Has anybody read it? I've no. heard of it. Putting yeah. a lot of people on hold for that. Yeah, it's 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 huge right now, and so and I tend, like I said, I tend to sort of shy away from things like that but this book to me is like the perfect combination of sort of speculative near future things which i love but then it's also like the writing is so incredible and especially the character development um i just i just i just absorbed it so fast and you know how sometimes you're reading a book and it's okay you're enjoying it but it's not the best book ever you're about halfway through and they start talking about some character and you're like who is this person <laughs> again like you can't remember the characters and with this one, within the first, by, by chapter two, like I knew everybody and I knew they were very, they were very distinct and their voices are very distinct. And then also she helps that by every chapter is narrated by a different character. So really, really interesting. The premise, um, I'm not giving anything away by saying this because it happens right away. So the premise is that everyone in the world wakes up one day and there's a box outside of their door and in the box there's a string and the string tells you how long your life is going to be. So suddenly, all the prejudices that have been going on in the world are sort of muffled because now the new prejudice is short stringers and long versus long stringers. <laughs> so it's just an incredible sort of study of human life and also of our society right now and how we always want somebody to be the other. Um, really, really, really good. I can't recommend it enough. Have you read anything by John Mars? No. He writes like very near future. Like he write he wrote and they're kind of thrillers though, but one of the books is about self-driving cars and being uh our self-drive no one drives, but then the self-driving cars are hijacked. Oh. And what what to do with that? And then the other book he wrote was about um like instead of the the match.com, it was your DNA could figure out who your soulmate was and wow. they made that into a Netflix show. Oh, really? But that was a really good book because it people were questioning do i take the test or do i stay with who i'm already married to right which is exactly similar to the yeah, Nikki that's Ehrlich is think, like do I, I open my box or do i not mm -hmm, open but my i box? love i love everything john mars oh, writes cool. because it's all very much like five ten years from right. now yeah i love that too because it's like how crazy are things gonna get mm -hmm. yeah neat um and then the second book is a ya book that um 
our One Book, One Town author um, has a trilogy that he just finished. It's called The Extraordinaries by T.J. Klune. So this is something that normally I wouldn't probably read. Um, it's a superhero uh, teen book. But because it was TJ, I gave uh, the first book a shot and really loved it. And the third book came out the end of the summer called Heat Wave. And it really sort of um, completes the whole three books. It does a really good job of sort of wrapping everything up. So Nick is the protagonist. Um, and he is um, on the spectrum um, and very chatty and very funny character. He's almost kind of like... You, when you're reading it, I'm constantly thinking like he would do really well in the Gilmore Girls because it's that kind of like rat -tat 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 that the Gil and also the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, anything that the um, that the creators of that sh those shows um, sort of puts out. And then Seth is the original Extraordinaries, and Gibby and Jazz are friends. But I really connected with Nick's dad a lot. Um, his name is Aaron, and he is a single father, single parent, and um, a police. Uh, cop. He's a cop, and uh, I, there's just something very beautiful about their relationship. Um, Aaron's a really rough and tumble kind of guy, but he's really um, got a very soft spot for his kid and just loves his kid a lot. So, um, so both of those books just really jumped out at me for the last couple um, last couple months or so. So I thought I'd share them. Um, anybody else have anything you want to jump in with? One True Loves is going to be made into a, either a TV show or a movie with um, Simu Lee from the Marvel um, okay. mo movie. I can't remember which one. Okay. Um, Neat. There's so much stuff being adapted. Yep. It's amazing. It's really it's so good to have all these streaming services now because really good quality books are getting adapted. Instead I can't of I can't keep up. Um, we just finished 1883, mm. which is the Yellowstone spinoff. Which um, when you were talking about the golf. And the exploration and stuff, like, it made me think, like, the people in the covered wagons, like, would you have stayed, like, we think beaches are beautiful, but back then, like, that really wasn't what people were looking for, you know, like, the whole history of beachfront housing yeah. kind of thing, yeah. that's what made me think of your book. And also, I think it's Killers of the Flower Moon, mm -hmm. made me think of that, too. Yep. That was an excellent book. Yeah, mm -hmm. I just finished that, too. Mm. Because I'm still waiting for that Scorsese. Me too. Is it is that a film or? It's going to be a film. I think it's going to be a motion picture. Okay. Wow. Neat. I just uh, started listening to uh, Viola Davis's, um, is it find Finding Me? Yeah, her memoir. Yeah. yeah. And she reads it herself. It's just, you're hooked as soon as she starts <laughs> talking. So I'm not very far in it, but, I'm, but the rest of it's like this. It's, it's really well done. Yeah, I love memoir for that reason because, or autobiographies, because um, more than likely the audiobooks are done by the person who wrote the book. So, although it can, you know, it it can be a problem if you're if you don't if you find that person annoying. Yeah, uh, the '90s Chuck Glosterman. I had a lot of trouble listening to him. <laughs> I love his books, but his his voice reminded me of like a cartoon character with like a lisp. Oh yeah, and I, I I had a lot of trouble like getting through that. Yeah. If it's an entertainer, I feel like somebody like Viola Davis, then yeah. chances are they have a great voice. And Michelle Obama's book, read by her, was yeah. the best thing I've ever listened to. Yeah. Well, thank you, Amy, Jess, and Elaine. And thank you, listeners, so much for joining us for another episode of Fairfield What Are You Reading podcast, brought to you by Fairfield Public Library in Fairfield, Connecticut. Check out show notes for book titles and authors mentioned today. And please join us next month for more conversations about our favorite books and authors as we continue to explore our fall 2022 reads. Happy reading and thank you all so much.